Hello, listeners. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the ongoing war in Gaza. Our hearts go out to everyone who's suffering as a result of this war. Please check in with your Jewish and Palestinian friends and be a listening ear. I hope for not just Jews, but also for Palestinians to have a place to call home, to practice their faith, and to live their lives without fear or retribution. I hope we can all take part in fighting anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and anti-Arab hate as we advocate for human rights for all. Thank you for listening. I'll include a link in the episode description if you want to learn more. All right, on with the podcast. Hello, everybody, and you are listening to Nerd Alert. Girls. Girls. Hi, everybody. It is so good to speak to you all again. I know it's kind of been a minute, but October was hectic for both me and Bridget. Just Wow, we got a lot of stuff done uh, socially, but we are back with an awesome podcast episode for you. To get started, my name is Jen with a G. How's it going? Hey, y'all. I am Bridget with a B. What's up? (laughs) Nice. Yes, we are knowing our letters today. And I give a solid A to the book we are just about to review. Miles Morales Suspended by amazing writer Jason Reynolds and fantastic tabulous artist Zeke Benya. Honestly y'all if you have not read this book you gotta read it. It is beautifully written in like poetry verse and the art is just amazing. The message was amazing and well Miles Morales of course it's gonna be amazing. Right. I will I I want to get my hands on anything related to Miles Morales anything in existence at all. I'm just like yes Miles my man my Spider-Man <laughs> So good. Yes. Um, now, I'm not sure if any of you remember, we briefly talked about the first uh, book, the first Miles Morales book by mm-hmm. Jason Reynolds, mm-hmm. which was definitely a little while back. But, you know, we uh, Jason Reynolds came out with this awesome sequel a couple months ago. And honestly, it just picks up right where it left off. And I was pretty, I was a little surprised, not going to lie, because it had been a minute. And I'm thinking to myself, Wait, what was the last thing that happened? Oh, yeah, uh, that racist guy Chamberlain has like an issue with Miles. And when Miles accidentally broke his desk, he's like, well, you can't be in my class if you don't have somewhere to sit. So Miles just ups and just sits at the teacher's desk. And I was just snapping my fingers and saying, Mm -hmm. Yas King, Yas King (laughs) at the end of that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's helpful that this okay, so this is a sequel um to as we mentioned the the first Miles Morales book by Jason Reynolds. Um and as a quick aside, I'm going to do my famous my little plug here for anyone who's new to the podcast and hasn't heard me boast about this, but I actually met Jason Reynolds um when the first Miles Morales book came out. Um it was like at an indie bookstore. I wasn't even planning it. We my family and I were on a trip. And then my dad's like, hey, this author's coming tonight to talk about the Miles Morales book. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and um, and I got to meet him and got to hear about his philosophy about writing, particularly writing um, as a Black man for, you know, young men of color and about young men of color. And um, obviously not, you know, just for that audience, but a lot with that in mind and being authentic to that experience. And I think he really is, um, both in the first book and in this one. If you haven't read the first book, um, I hundred thousand percent would recommend I think it was the it was honestly the book that like really got me to fall in love with with Miles because I don't think the um Spider-Verse movie had come out yet when that book came out um I I could be misremembering it has been a minute 
but um I do remember it as as the moment where I really got to like delve into that character for the first time and like in a super deep deep and rich way um and so like it was really I was really excited when um Reynolds was coming out with with this sequel uh that said I mean I think theoretically you could read this as a standalone because it it summarizes the first book pretty nicely also if you have read the first book that's been a minute and you're like oh I I gotta read that first one before I can read the sequel like the sequel gives like a quick summary in the beginning so you're like uh, you're like oh yeah okay that's where we left but like you said Jen um so it does do a good job of doing that if you like anything if you're holding back because you're like oh I gotta reread the first one and you know whatever um but yeah so yeah just that as an aside and also when this book was announced another just fun story about this my dad um came up to me he's like so Bridget what's happening with Miles Morales and I'm like what do you mean and he's like like was his comic run suspended or something I'm like no there's a book about him coming out with the title suspended in it he's like oh I just saw the highlight uh the headline Miles Morales suspended and I was worried like they canceled his comic book run or something um you know because he didn't like click on the link he just like saw it and he's like what you know um so I'm like no dad don't worry Miles is fine (laughs) I mean Miles is just fine he's dealing with some stuff in the book but he handles it because he's a boss yes yes um but you know, okay, so I so I read this book like the second it dropped. Um, so it has been a minute for me, but um I remember when I was telling you about it, Jen, and making you read this book. <laughs> um, I was like, dude, in a in a nutshell, this book is I would say an experiment in like genre and with like the way he like, you know, he's t- Jason Reynolds is telling the story because he's mixing in like you know different um ways of of telling a story so obviously there's a traditional prose which was you know all the first book um but this time he's incorporating a lot of poetry and some illustrations as we mentioned from Zeke Benya and like you know this interplay between those um you know kind of three genres of storytelling you know it makes it for an even quicker read than the first book and the first book is is a pretty quick read as well but this one like I ripped through it in a day like it really did not take me long at all to get through to to read through it um and I think it's an interesting you know mechanism to get you know using poetry to get into Miles's headspace and having the drawings to harken back to his comic book roots what yeah how would you think about it Jen? I was a little thrown off at first, truth be told, because I'm like, wait, I think I would have remembered if the first book did this. Yeah. But I like that it got into that headspace because if, uh, for those of you who need a quick refresher, Miles has a crush on this girl, Alicia, and they kind of bonded over poetry. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's sharing like an in-school suspension with her and he's like kind of got poetry on his mind and in his head, not to mention like there's this theme of literacy like mm-hmm. kind of going on too just I thought it was very fitting it was it caught me off guard and at first I was like what really you know but I got into it and it was I think it was very fitting for this particular book and the story it wanted to tell and it really did make for a quick read yeah and like it's good like I mean it gets into like you know serious themes and stuff but not not in the sense we were like I am like emotionally devastated. You know, you know how it is with like reading or watching Spider-Man stuff. You're like, how bad is it going to be today? <laughs> um, Basically, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but um, relatively speaking, like just like thematically, it's dealing with like, you know, 
things like book banning and censorship and things like that. And we'll get into that more, I'm sure, as we're talking about this book. But, um, you know, I would I still call it, you know, more of a I don't know if lighthearted is the right word, but like more of a casual read. Like, don't don't feel like you'll be emotionally devastated after reading it. You'll have a lot of intriguing questions afterward of like what will happen next. I think there will definitely be a third book um coming to the end of this book I I just felt like it ends you know on like it, it wraps everything up but like you could see that like there's still like a few outstanding questions um about certain characters that you're like I think this will go on right I mean that was the feeling you got too Jen, right? yeah I definitely did I mean we haven't seen the last of uh Chamberlain you know mm-hmm. just, ugh, unfortunately he's gonna stick around for a little and I really don't know what happened to the main villain of this book because it seems like he was defeated, but at the same oh, time, the it's warning. like, uh, yeah, yeah, nah, he's he's still there. So I have a feeling, like you said, there's going to be another book. How long that will take depends, you know, because I feel like it almost is like Jason Reynolds. He's got his own projects. I definitely mm-hmm. respect all of it. But I notice he happens to coincide the books with the movies because this book came yeah. out around the time that the second Spider-Verse movie came out. So I'm like, okay, the third one is supposedly coming out like next year, you know, so give us that third book, uh, Mr. Reynolds. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> we we got to see this guy, this warden get slapped. Seriously. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the the warden and like the and like the big bad of this um you know book because um I was listening to an NPR interview today with um Jason Reynolds like talking about the sequel book and he was talking about how he's like in real life you know I don't believe that there are that many like villainous people there are people who do villainous acts and like terrible things like you know but um and this is a direct quote he says everybody is this close to doing the bad thing and this close to doing the good thing and honestly, I feel like that is why I respect Jason Reynolds so much as an author, particularly as a writer for Miles Morales, because that's the heart of Spider-Man, you know, um, both Miles and Peter Parker, you know, because believing in, you know, humanity's goodness, right, and not falling into the cynicism of like, you know, every, you know, that person is too far gone, right, Um but like Spider-Man steps in like with that hope, that persistent hope of like believing in a better world and that, you know, people have the potential, as much potential to be good as they have potential to be bad. You know what I mean? Mm, true, true. I'm not sure how he's going to deal with the warden though, if I'm going to be honest, because this guy is just set on just, uh, just really, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? like bringing harm to minorities truly oppression what yeah this is oppression right (laughs) oppression thank you that's the word yes definitely he's focused on oppression just for reasons you know and and it's he does it uh, systematically you know he does it so that you have people like chamberlain teaching the schools and being Mm. oppressive towards uh, young minority students they're banning books they're not helping uh those who are in prison you know so that way minorities don't stand a chance should they get out of jail right you know he's really taking apart little by little on the inside it's really gross and sneaky and unfortunately doesn't look too uh 
doesn't look too dissimilar from society, especially depending on if you go to certain t- parts of the world. So, well, yeah, mm-hmm. honestly, uh, Jason Reynolds, uh, that is an amazing quote, by the way. Thank you so much for sharing that. But with that belief in mind, and I feel like uh, Miles Morales and Peter Parker would have that mindset, too. But if that's the case, how do you deal with the warden? Do you try to right. change his mind, help him realize that people are people regardless of how they look or whatever? Or if this is someone who just needs to be taken down, or is there just going to be another uh, racist person just going to pop up after him? You know, I- I'm curious as to what we're going to do with the ward in here. Yeah, you know, you bring up an interesting point, right? And like, you know, Jason Reynolds wasn't making the point that there are no villainous people, right? Just like that there are fewer like than than we may initially think when we're thinking in terms of black and white. And like the air, he was talking about the area of grayness and everything, but like you know, I think that was coming from a place not of saying that there aren't you know evil people who or like evil things, evil people and evil things that have to be stopped to stand up against them. And Miles does that, you know. I don't think that's you know the argument here, but you know what what Reynolds was talking about was fear, fear being the villain, like the insecurity of adults and like the things that they build to you know, barricade young people from making a discovery about themselves, finding a truth about themselves. And for whatever reason or another, right, like the the adults are like afraid of that discovery, afraid of like changing the status quo. And I feel like, you know, the warden obviously like is like a particular person, but like I feel like the warden is really like a metaphor for, you know, representation of, you know, the prison industrial complex, um, well, okay, that's a very heady word. Um, like basically, like you know, society's you know school to prison pipeline for you know brown and uh, black young men, and you know always focusing the you know punishments and suspension, ex- expulsions. You know, like statistically, you know that is happening more often to young men of color, to students with disabilities. You know, all that stuff right and that and that's a system-wide mm-hmm. problem and you know just basically seeing like you know men of color boys of color as like inherently criminal right and that's an ongoing yeah. tension that miles deals with in pretty much every iteration that we see him or whatever story it is right including this book series by by reynolds um you know so like i think i think the warden is a representative of that of the ways that like the system and society which you know we are all a part of even though we didn't agree to this <laughs> when we were we didn't sign up for this man I was just born into this world um you know but we inherit these systems that are unfair that treat people um unfairly right and to and that disrespects you know certain people's humanity and tries to erase that humanity right and and that's getting into like the whole book banning thing and that's another you know societal thing I mean I really keenly felt that commentary right because um because of the rise in in censorship and you know with libraries and with schools and people being afraid of knowledge right I mean Jen I know you've been you've been experiencing this a lot in your line of work as well unfortunately yes uh for those of you who may not know I work at an elementary school library and even though I've been given more or less some free reign to get books like for the kids, as long as they're obviously elementary school age appropriate, there have definitely been some complaints from parents who are complaining about like books about uh, transgender children or about mm-hmm. gay parents or even like things that are considered too violent or too religious. 
which I'm mm-hmm. just like, okay, you know. I personally don't believe in censorship. I believe in uh, making sure a child doesn't read anything too big or appropriate. Like, I'm not going to give my, like, my eight-year-old third grader a Twilight book, for instance, not till they're <laughs> older. Right. But anyway, and we actually just had a banned book uh, week, like, maybe two, three weeks ago. And I picked up a bunch of books that are noticeably been banned, you know, throughout the years. And all my students, I love them so much, were asking me why. And some of them, you know, I tried to explain as best as I could in terms that they could understand. And most of them were just pretty appalled, like, what? That's silly. That's dumb, Miss Jennifer, you know? And I'm just (laughs) like, aw, you know? So the fact that this is a real thing, even now, and even uh, somewhere as uh, open-minded as the school I work at, because we literally advertise ourselves as open-minded, mm. you know, and we are pretty good, you know, we don't celebrate Christmas, we celebrate like the holidays, re- uh, religion around the world and such, and yet there's still a thing like this happening, so that the fact that they touched upon it did give me pause when I was reading, and uh, there was definitely this moment where I'm like, yeah, man, I feel you. Don't censor the books. Please don't eat them either, you weird termite monster <laughs> thing. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely an interesting topic that will be covered over and over until the end of time. And I'm and I'm appreciative of Jason Reynolds' interpretation of it, like, to sort of be like, no, this monster termite is a representation of censorship and systematic racism, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's so funny, when I first saw the book cover of Suspended, I saw the little creature, and I, at first I thought it was like a scorpion, Um, and then when I actually, yeah, when I started actually reading the book, I'm like, oh, termites, okay, you know, and like, you know, let's, we could talk about like the whole, I mean, the metaphor, um, or analogy of, um, of termites for a second, right, because like termites, you know, they like eat your house from within, right? Like you don't even necessarily see them or hear them. You can find traces of them, one crawling over here. You can see the little dust they leave behind, um, you know? Um, but like, if you're not careful, right? Next thing you know, like your your house is basically like eaten alive, right? And right under your very nose. And that's like exactly what's happening, you know, quite literally to these books, right? And like the the idea of like, you know, consuming consumption and like you know doing it like in secret and in the darkness and you know again just like and like termites are like I mean like my um get into real world example we we did have termites in our house at one point and at first we did like the um what do you call it when you try to do the more eco-friendly like citrus kind of thing where they sprayed like certain parts of our house and didn't we didn't Uh fumigate at first um, but then, like, they just immediately came back, and we ended up fumigating anyway. I'm sorry, planet Earth. I know, that's a topic for another time. Um, but my mom was like, look, they're already back, you know? And, like, it, that, like that's how, like, persistent they were. How, um, I don't want to say insidious, because they're, like, just creatures living their lives, right? But we're talking about them as a metaphor, right, in this book. Like, how insidious they are, and just how, how they just crawl in and just like you know destroy everything before you even know it right and like that it requires such like drastic measures to deal with you know what I mean um I just thought that was interesting as I was thinking more about like what the termites you know represent both just like as an insect in our real world and what it means for for them to be this mechanism for you know 
Chamberlain, Tobin, the warden, you know, in their efforts to erase history, um, not only black and brown history, but queer history too, right? There's that um, non-binary student, I remember whose parent was complaining about how, you know, her kid couldn't find anything that they were looking for for a school project, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, I'm sorry, I, now that you're like bringing it up about termites, I think it is very interesting that they brought up termites as like the creature to sort of be the big bad. I mean, they could have picked a lot of things. Truly, they could have picked a lot of things. There are a lot of uh, ways to destroy a book, unfortunately. They could have had like a fire creature or if they're going to still be gross, a scorpion would have still worked because that those things are deadly. But they picked termites. You know, to work at the foundation, weaken it until it crumbled, you know? Not to mention those things look so gross. Right, and you think of, like, a termite colony, right? Like, you think about how it's a network of these creatures. It's not just, like, one one termite can only do so much damage, unless you're uh, <laughs> Tobin, but... Um, that's what, yeah, um, but, like, oh, you know... Tobin. Yeah, but, you know, but, like, Tobin is... I mean, spoiler alert, but, like, Tobin is part of this broader system of chamberlains so to speak right like yeah. you know like it's it's a it's a bigger conspiracy it's a bigger system in place and we talked a lot about systems right systemic racism system of school to prison pipeline and things like that right and like um you know there are people who work to uphold these institutions to uphold this way of of existing and you know, try to suppress anything that would rise up against that. In this case, you know, it being books. So there's there's something about that too, right? Like the interconnectedness and the colony of like a term, you know, not just one termite, but many. Uh, it's like, honestly, the more I think about it, the more like ick and creepy it is, you know, as yeah. it should be truly, because when you really think about it, it's it's disturbing. They want to silence any like free thinking students by getting rid of the books that get them to question like their system and everything not to mention they tried to stop miles from creating like a system where they can send where he can send books to prisons specifically to help his cousin you know mm -hmm. the fact that they're like uh no you people need to stay where you belong and that's to the ground you know yeah Oh, it's just the implications are gross and creepy, but the fact that they used uh, termites is just like you said, Bridget. It's insidious because mm -hmm. even though they are trying to live their lives, these particular termites are purposely trying to get rid of the thing that has our young people thinking and mm -hmm. questioning the system and such. Not to mention kill our baby boy Miles, which I will refuse to forgive. Yeah, unforgivable, 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 <laughs> never. Yeah, that's some baby boy right there. Don't touch him. He's my son. Okay. <sighs> Seriously, you're y'all are gonna get slapped by me. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. Well. It, yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on on Tobin and Miles's dynamic with Tobin? Well, you know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, another new side character. He's a library assistant. Great. Finds out what he is. How dare you call yeah. yourself such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, and honestly, I really appreciate that Miles. You know, after all that's said and concerned about poor Tobin, like, hey, is he okay? You know, once he defeated the creature and the boy was left behind and he had to be taken away, mm -hmm. the fact that he still sympathized, the fact that even though Tobin was a pawn, but a gross pawn nonetheless, but Miles, being Miles, of course, is just like, well, 
unfortunately you were manipulated by someone worse than you you know so what a shame though that people like chamberlain and the warden got close to like the young people Mm. you know because we are the young people who are supposed to be trying to you know change the way of thinking and flipping the system and such so i i have hope for poor tobin that eventually he sees the light realizes that you know come on now people are people and books are books ideas are ideas you know what i mean yeah Uh, i have a question for you Mm. bridget yeah we see our uh, love interest Alicia again. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't play as strong of a role this time, but she's definitely one of the forces that drives Miles a little bit, especially since he does contemplate whether or not how to um, write a poem because she wrote him a poem in the last book and he was trying to figure out how to write back. So they had like a Miles flirtation there and the fact that she's suspended too is... Uh, because she was standing up for him is cute but what do you think of this relationship like do you think it'll be long lasting you know or do you think it's um sustainable look i you know i'm the biggest romantic out there um but like i'm always skeptical of high school relationships in even in fiction (laughs) um or is he in high school or is he middle school i i suddenly am like totally blinking i feel like he feels like high school but he could be i don't know um Either way, okay, I look, I graduated college, okay, college-age kids look like kids to me at this point, um, but yeah, so I mean, that being said, I think they're cute, I think it's a sweet little, it's a sweet flirtation, you know, um, first love if you want to go that far, um, I, th- I I think they're cute, I don't, I don't have any strong feelings about the ship, it's not necessarily, like, the romance isn't, like, really, a, like, a big part of the, like you said, a big part of the story, and even, like, I don't even consider it like a big part of the the last book. I mean, I know it's a big thing about like him wanting to give her the poem and it's very sweet him stumbling over himself. But, you know, for me, I, I kind of focus more on how it led to more development with him and his dad and, you know, talking about his love story with his mom. Right. And how, you know, you got to spill the salsa. Um, the salsa. You know, and like and her and Alicia's role in, you know, calling miles out when he's afraid and like saying well aren't you gonna take a stand right and like you know her being this you know force of nature in her own right right and like you know so there's like i really like her i like her as a character um and i like her interaction with miles and you know the the poetry writing is sweet and um you know i can like you know and he writes much better poetry than the boys that I knew when I was their age like I still remember this god-awful poem that like a boy texted me when I was like in youth group and I'm like oh even at the time when I liked him I'm like this is horrible (laughs) um but he is actually a pretty decent poet so I will say that for him um for their for their little romance but yeah I don't you know I don't have like a super strong like necessarily investment in like their romance so to speak i think it's sweet and it's cute but i don't think a lot about it if that makes sense gotcha i would like to point out though that uh miles is an amazonian chaser regardless of who his love interest is yeah Everyone he's ever liked powerful strong and independent yeah peter parker too actually they they both have a type yeah yeah <laughs> in general i don't really have like a like a ship for miles i mean there's the whole thing this flirtation with gwen and like the comics and then the movies and like 
I like that too, but I, I, I'm, I'm kind of more, it's not my main ship. I'll just say that, I guess. Um, like, I don't really have a like, oh my gosh, I would die for the ship for Miles. I like him and Miss Marvel in the comics, but like, I don't think that's ever going to happen. And I don't need it to either. Uh, I don't think it will, especially since she doesn't seem as interested. Yeah. I'm just saying a lot because she's boy crazy. But <laughs> anyways. Yeah. I just was uh, curious on your thoughts because I know you get a soft spot for the romance and I'm like, oh, young love, you know, and he finally wrote the poem back and she seemed all all flustered by it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think those are my thoughts as far as as far as that's concerned. Um, yeah. But they're cute. <laughs> well, any further thoughts about the book? Um, yeah, I, well, I just want to read one one of the poems, at least from from this um, from this book, just to give any, you know, if this if this conversation hasn't like convinced you to read it or if you haven't read it at this point or just want to relive one of the poems, I'll read um, Spider Fact. Uh, it's said that nobody is ever more than 10 feet from a spider. They be everywhere. You and me are. And even though we see them only when they big enough to see or when they move like a cursor across the blank white page of a wall, or when we trip the web-like wire of a booby trap, or when they fang our flesh, we should probably assume most just be right there, right right here, looking at us, looking over them. But yeah, I think um, I, I like the poetry that's throughout, although I'll be honest, I look forward to reading it the second time and like kind of being able to stew in it a little bit more because when I was reading it the first time, I'm like, okay, but what's happening to the plot? <laughs> I'm a very impatient reader um and I'm just like wait 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 what's going on oh no another poem um and it wasn't like a bad thing like it like you know like I thought it it's it is well done poetry and everything and it gets into it kind of gets into more of the emotional beats and into Miles's headspace like I don't think those are I don't know about you Jen but I didn't interpret them as like literal poems he was writing necessarily in that moment because like you know like some of it's happening some of the poetry happens like when he's like mid-battle you know what I mean um but it's like kind of getting at the essence of what he's like thinking or feeling at that moment you know versus like like a literal poem that he's composing in that moment like I know he is writing poetry so it's a little bit confusing but like um that's kind of how I thought about it like it's almost like um instead of like writing out Miles's thoughts in prose they're like they're written in poetry if that makes sense that's kind of how I was thinking about it no I, I got the same thing because at first I was kind of like wow he's writing a lot of poetry and maybe some of it he was writing down but for the most part now nah, I'm pretty sure I kind of caught on quickly that it was like just his headspace and emotional well-being going on although the thought of him like fighting uh Tobin the termite or whatever while writing poetry like wait 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 hold up hold up I got a great line just, just like, give me a moment you can punch me after let me just write this down let me just write this down <laughs> can you imagine that actually be really hilarious um <laughs> it would be hilarious and Tobin would be like what <laughs> no I'm gonna kill you <laughs> uh, yeah um well any well I guess do you have any more thoughts about I mean since you're familiar with Zeke Benya's work about like the drawings and like the moments that they chose or like to to illustrate um or just like your thoughts about the art in general the art is gorgeous oh my gosh so i didn't realize that uh zeke benya was someone i was somewhat familiar with turns out uh we have uh his book uh 
my puppy has a motorcycle at our library. And I remember like when I was ordering the book, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is that something I'm going to get crap for by any chance? Like, I feel like anything I order, I might get crap for anyways, just because, you know, no one's ever happy or satisfied. But I remember thinking, no, we need more Hispanic representation and the art is beautiful. And then next thing you know, I'm looking up uh, Zeke Benya, like, okay, you know, he drew these beautiful, he drew this beautiful artwork for Miles. What else has he done? My puppy has a motorcycle. Oh my gosh. You know, I got kind of giddy. And I'm looking at his other artwork and it's beautiful. I've never heard of some of these books, but I'm just going to look into him just so I can see more of his artwork. I'm very impressed. Honestly, I'll look him up. He's good. He's great. Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, do you have any other thoughts about the book? I think I've shared everything I wanted to. I think I have to, unless you want to hear me, like, detail how hard I would slap Chamberlain and just, like, shove him off a building into a vat of termites. But, you know, otherwise, I think that's all my thoughts. All right, cool. Well, thank you all for so much for listening to our little book review slash reaction for um miles morales suspended and yes we are just talking about school suspension but <laughs> not his comics being suspended oh you know actually okay i guess just one other thing we're talking about the dual meaning of words um i thought it was interesting like you know miles morales suspended obviously he was suspended in in school and everything but like there's also the you know he's just you know this illustrate of him being suspended from his web right <laughs> and like being suspended in this like I mean, because this whole book takes place in the span of just one day, one in, you know, in school suspension day, right? So he's like trapped in a place, trapped in a time, trapped in time, you know, and he's needing to to break out of it and break out of this um, in order to find the truth. So I think that's interesting, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I like the play on the word, too. That was a very fitting title for the book. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, but fret not, Miles. Miles comics are doing well. Miles books are doing well. Miles is just well. I can't say Miles is doing well when I'm thinking about <laughs> across the Spider Verse. Spider Verse. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm still in pain. Yeah, I'm still in pain. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed for that to turn out okay. But that's a conversation for another time. In the meantime, thank you all so much for listening. We are looking forward to uh, covering the Marvels, and we will be covering Loki Season 2 as well. Uh, I know we've been radio silent about that. Um, anyone who has not been on this podcast before, uh, just know that we were not fans of Loki Season 1. Let me just put it lightly. Um, <laughs> and so we were hesitant to cover um, Season 2 as thoroughly, but... We have some thoughts about season two that I I am actually looking forward to sharing. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, honestly, yeah. same. So yeah. uh, hold off on that. We got like what two more episodes to cover for Loki. I think. I it's mean, just to watch one. before we cover it. I oh this, my god! This last one that was this week was the penultimate one. I think there's only one more. That's coming. the one. Oh As my, of this time, wow. we're recording right now. Yeah. No, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be covering that soon, and then we got the Marvels basically like right afterwards. So yeah, November might be it for us, everybody. Yeah, November's gonna be wild. <laughs> it's gonna be a time. Oh yeah, it, it's, it's been a be desert now. Yeah, no, the ending is inside. We found our oasis. But <laughs> let's see what it is, especially in terms of our feelings on Loki. 
The Marvels, though, I am racing towards it like anime style, hands behind the back, <laughs> racing forward. Never to run. <laughs> to run, truly. I'm just like, okay, let's get the tickets. Let's go. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you all so much for listening. And please read the book. It, it's very good. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time on Nerd Alert. Girls. Yes. Adios, everybody. Bye.